Welcome to the inaugural edition of Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. The mission of Food, Faith, and Feelings is to walk with you on your journey to wholeness. Brought to you as an educational program under the nonprofit MANA Scholarship Fund, our program is designed to help you better understand issues related to your physical and mental diet. What you consume that impacts your head, your heart, and your soul. We are thankful for our business partnership with Paradigm Security and Mr. Rick Strawn for providing this opportunity to come to you. We hope to enrich your lives as he has enriched ours. This edition of Food, Faith, and Feelings is brought to you by Rick Strawn at Paradigm Security. And in fact, he is my guest today. Hello, Jeannie. Hi, Good to Rick. Be here. It seems like just last week. Like that last we, week. <laughs> we were here. Yes. You know, I'd make a regular thing of this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, what we did last week was I turned the, the tables on Rick and I got to interview him so that his listeners could get to know him better. And this week he is doing the same so that you can get to know a little bit about who I am at the start of the show. Thank you, Rick, for being here. Hey, it's my pleasure. Um, you've got an interesting story to tell. I know a lot of it, and like all people, I don't know all of it. Right. But uh, I do know a lot of it, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here on Food, Faith, and Feelings. Thank I you. Love the, I love the title. Thank you. It's going to be a great partnership going through here. Uh, I think you. Uh, I see a lot of good things coming uh, through this nonprofit part of this show. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited. There's so many people need help, need to be reached out to. Yes, exactly. And what better way can you do it than social media nowadays? Everybody's on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let me just start off by saying I've known you for several years now. Maybe 10? Yeah, probably. Maybe just 10. time flies. It only seems like 20 sometimes. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, seriously, though, it just seems like yesterday we were we, – we're sitting at that golf tournament and talking about the possibility of coming on man aboard and, yep. and all that kind of stuff. And it did start at the Gwinnett Chamber with our yeah. inaugural golf manatee. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I just uh, I was sitting there and I played at it and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I do mean played at golf. But you know your story. I think it's important that people know who uh, Jeannie is because. A lot of people get the impression that when you go see a counselor, that they've just been through all the schooling, they've got all this background, they've got all this education, they just know what to say and what and to ask. And they know it all, especially well, as a doctor. They think, oh, you know everything. Well, exactly. <laughs> and that's not true. <laughs> but I think most of them don't realize that a lot of people, such as yourself especially, have actually been through, they've walked the shoes that they're preaching about specifics yeah absolutely they know it's not that they've learned it from books or from other people and listening to them and just sitting in counseling sessions they were there before this this journey started exactly and many people like yourself that's what initiated the passion in this journey now i know you come from a family that is i believe your dad's a doctor he is and so that part, I know you might have gotten a little push from here and there to kind of go in that, but I think you, you, you desired to go into it more than you were pushed. I think that's where you're... 
Yes, Passion horse. absolutely. Well, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start way back. Yeah, start way back when you were like back. when you were doing little did the dancing or acrobatics and yes, stuff like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. So um, when I was about seven or eight years old, I used to do cartwheels in the living room, <laughs> and I had didn't everybody? <laughs> I don't know, but I did, and I had never. I had never been to a gymnastics facility ever, but I had so much energy and I just loved to move. And so my mom, I knocked something off of the living room table and my mother said, that's it. We're going to put you in gymnastics. <laughs> Out of the living room and into the, <laughs> into the gym. So um, that began my career, my six year career in gymnastics from eight to 14. Um, and I had a bit of natural talent um, and I went to a club. Uh, it was a gymnastics club up in Kansas City, Missouri. That's where I was. And um, my father was in uh, school to be his to become a doctor. And um, my mother took me back and forth to gymnastics and while well, she worked and, and all that. But um, so in gymnastics, you learn certain great qualities but you also learn that in order to be good enough or you have to be perfect and weight so is, weight is a goal and a problem sometimes well that was not my issue right eight to 14 i did not think about my weight it, it had zero to do with it but the the mindset of being acceptable was that you had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And so once I quit at 14, because I had some back issues from a bad fall, um, from I quit in after one of the seasons and I was 14 and six months later, my body, I, you know, I wasn't working out 30 hours a week because we would go six days a week, um, three to four hours a day. So I was, I was doing a lot of gymnastics while I was going to school. And, um, so six months after I quit, uh, my body started developing. I was 14. Um, and I, puberty sets in and puberty and, sat in oh. and things started growing and getting more shapely. And, um, Unfortunately, uh, a family member said to me at Thanksgiving after we had eaten dinner. Uh, oh, I yeah, hear it coming. Yeah. Jeannie's getting fat oh. in front of the whole family. And I, I don't know that I'd ever felt so much shame in all of my life. It really triggered something. Yeah. Well, that and um, the, the other piece that I said that, that, I, that I missed when I, in my story is that my parents separated when I was eight and divorced when I was nine. So I had a, I was the only child and now my family is divided and here I am doing this gymnastics thing. I learn all these different things, but I, I developed some amazing friendships. In fact, I'm still really close with four people from my gymnastics team today. Wow. Um, and, and some of them I talk to every single day. So, um, definitely I developed some sisterhood there. Um, and so when I quit and then my family member said that I, I was in ninth grade and I remember just thinking, I'm going to show her. <laughs> and so I went back to school. Um, and what they showed back then was this movie about this girl that developed an eating disorder and it clicked in my head. It was called the best little girl in the world. Mm -hmm. This was in the early eighties and it just clicked. And I was like, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll throw up. 
And so from that point forward, it was January through the next couple of months, I lost a ton of weight now. And I purposely will not talk about my weight, nor will I talk about the pounds I lose because I don't want anyone to get triggered. Good. But I learned at that point that in order to be okay, I must be thin. And so, because one of the underlying things I was trying to do is to be loved. And so I lost all that weight. Well, these two BFFs of mine still today, one, both of them said, Jeannie, you look like beep. Yep. <laughs> and I mean, I'll never forget. Liz told me this on the bus and Jill and I were walking at a baseball game and she said this and I, I couldn't see it. My brain was in a fog. Were you real thin at that time? Because super of thin, it? Yep. super thin. Um, and so I, uh, I, I, I started to struggle with what's real like in my head like is what i'm seeing real or is what they're seeing real and so um shortly your perception of yourself was different than what they were seeing oh yeah. yeah i looked terrible in my mind i i measured and i weighed and i exercised and i like jill said i remember one morning like waking up i'd spent the night with you and it was like two o'clock in the morning and you were doing exercise in the living room like it was obsessive and not only did I have all these mental, this mental obsession, but it also later, a few years later, it, it triggered a biochemical issue. So now I have thyroid issues mm -hmm. starting from when I was 15. So now granted I had a tendency uh, biologically and biochemically from my family for that, but I have zero doubt that my, the anorexic behavior started and triggered that. I think a lot of people don't realize, they think that it's it's just getting out what you put in. They don't realize that it, you know, there are nutrients, there are a lot of things that go in that you don't need to come back out. And right. your bottom line is it affects you physically, internally. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it can I, kill you. I, well, well, yes. It The number one, anorexia is the number one killer of females from 15 to 25. And um, so it is, it, it, it becomes an obsession. Um, it, you, you don't see things correctly. You don't, you, you don't interpret things. I don't, like, I feel like I was in a fog for probably three years, um, the last part of high school. And so it becomes this, um, it, just, it just consumes you. And a lot of people who have eating disordered behaviors for years, um, they develop their identity around it. Mm -hmm. Like, if I am not thin, I am, I am nothing, or I am not okay, or it, I don't, I'm not lovable, or it I'm not safe. Works that way with a lot of a lot of addictions. Correct. Um, so, when I was f uh, somewhere early year of my 15th, when I turned 15, um, I had lost a, a, enough weight where when I stepped on the scale, it registered a certain weight and I thought, oh, wow, I can't be fat at this number. Somewhere I still had some sort of logic. And so in my head, I, I achieved what I set out to achieve, which was I needed to be thin enough. Mm -hmm. Well, 
at this very low weight, I was thin enough. And but to at based on today's standards, I should have been in a hospital. Well, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, anorexia wasn't a particular topic, and uh, a conversation until you know Karen Carpenter, mm-hmm. once she actually and it was publicized that she died from anorexia. Yep. Then all of a sudden it became something where people could come out and I talk think, about it. And I think that happened in the late 70s. I believe so. So this is right before, mm-hmm. like this is literally right before all of my stuff I happened. I was wondering where that happened in relation to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so after I hit that certain weight, it in my mind, I realized that I wasn't fat anymore. And so what that did in my head was it gave me the permission to eat. So what I did was I would eat, but then I would get afraid that I was going to get weight back. And then I started vomiting. Yep. And that actually became the thing that I did the next three years. That's it, a long time. It is. And for a child, so I was a teenager, right? 14 to 17, 18. Body. Yes. Um, it, and it can do a lot of damage um, that a lot, and, and sometimes it just becomes such a, um, I don't know, it just becomes that cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, folk, the whole focus of what you're doing. Yeah, and, and getting through, those are really tough years anyway. Oh, you yeah. don't know who you are, you don't know who. Trying you know, to if, find yourself. Who you're, who you're loved by, who you're liked by, if you're safe. You know, there's a ton of things that happen. And being loved at that age is very important. From, oh, yeah. from whether it be from you know your your peers your parents mm-hmm. uh, a boyfriend a girlfriend mm-hmm. it, it, that's something that you want to feel like you're loved so that you feel worthy correct well and because of my experience my belief system is um, nobody under the age of 18 needs to be on a diet nobody I totally agree Um, And if you have a child that is rapidly gaining weight, you need to get them as soon as possible to a therapist to help them deal with whatever they are trying to swallow. Mm -hmm. Because our our eating behavior is a mirror to our relational behavior and to what's what we need. It's It's making you feel better about something. Correct. Well, it's it's fixing something. Yeah, it's it's just like drinking. It, It makes it whatever it is, go away. Exactly. Um, but you know, the problem when, when you get older is that you have so much more stuff to uncover because you've made so many choices and decisions based on faulty beliefs that, um, it, it just becomes more difficult, uh, to change and alter the behavior. So the earlier the intervention, the better. And I don't believe that children need to be on a diet until they're 18 because their body is going through so much. Well, there's so many changes that's going through, and that's your growth period, your formative period of all your body, whether it be external or internal. Yep. All those years, and if you start screwing with that and your metabolism and everything else, it can just mess you up for life. Yeah. Well, so let me get back to my story. Yeah, let's go. So when I'm 15 and I'm, you know, purging, um, one of the things my father had learned in his own recovery process is... um, you let me know when you're um, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Know that saying very well. Yeah, I know it's an AA and a. Uh, it's all. It's in all A's. Well, it's. <laughs> an, I mean, it's 
it's the bottom line of addiction, yeah. no matter what your addiction is. Yeah. Well, and, you know, through all of this, my dad sort of became my, my hero. Like, if he can do it, then I can do it. And so I went into actually um, one of, I think, the only three treatment programs that were in the United States in the early 80s. Um, I think it was 1983. And um, I That's went. amazing. I went in, and it was in Kansas City where I lived at Menorah Medical Center. Um, the hospital is no longer there, but um, they had a specific unit for people with eating disorders. And um, it was in a hospital. I was in a medical hospital, and, um, you know, I had a psychiatrist, and I had, I mean, I just, I remember, I remember Dr. Olmo. I hated him. <laughs> Sorry. We all hate those doctors. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I just didn't, I just didn't jive with him. Um, anyway, so I was in there for about six and a half weeks and turned 16 in the hospital. Um, but I had gotten a uh, pass and came home and my parents threw me a surprise 16, sweet 16, and a bunch of my friends from school were there. Awesome. And, um, and you know, this is back way before social media. And so a lot of people actually knew what was going on. But um, what I found is that they didn't shame me. They supported me. That's and great. It was fantastic. Um, and I know a lot of people nowadays don't get that, um, even though eating disorders is far more rampant than they were back then. And far more publicized. Right. Um, and so I, I was just very, very thankful. And um, I was released... Uh, early December right after my birthday and for about three weeks I did okay but then you know stuff hits the fan and the relapse starts and my relapse started and so um, I continued on with a um, an outside therapist because again back then we didn't have five levels of care we had two Mm -hmm. (laughs) we had in the hospital or we and we had outpatient therapy Um, and so you know we've definitely grown we've gotten more sophisticated and the the landing is not as bumpy as what I went through but um, I would say the next year I continued to binge and purge um, really struggled my weight vacillated 15 pounds because of what I was doing and doing lots of damage to my body in fact, you can see this, but a lot of people can't. But I have a broken blood vessel mm-hmm. on my left eye. From purging. And that's from purging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll never go away. Um, I, I also had a ton of um, issues with uh, my hormones and my eyes and um, Raynaud's. And I mean, I just had a ton of stuff going on. So my high school years were really un- uncomfortable and very unfortunate for me. Um, and then when I went to college, um, I went away to college. I was 17, not because I was too smart, but because I started in Mississippi and their, their time frame was different. <laughs> so their cutoff was different. Um, and so I went to college and still struggled, not as much during my freshman year in college, but between my freshman and sophomore years, my dad had already gone to a program called Karen. It's the Karen Institute, C-A-R-O-N. And they had a five and a half day intensive, what we call psychodrama. And what that means is you go in and you enact 
um, like you're on a, a stage in a play, whatever is going on inside of you, which is really powerful and it brings up a ton of emotion. And so what I was able to do is ironically, this, this man that was my hero, I beat up because I was mad at him for leaving. So when they divorced, I got, I deep down inside that little eight year old inside of me was really hurt because my daddy left. Mm -hmm. And so I got the anger and the rage out, which last time when you and I were talking, I talked about the seed Mm -hmm. that, um, we have to get to it's it's the core that goes on inside of us is pain and if we don't get rid of that it will drive our behavior it will drive our life and we it will destroy us i think generally it the pain that's actually causing it is you very seldom realize what it is you got other stuff that you put that pain into and consider it this is what i'm hurting about this when really it's it's a lot deeper right right and then you know as we grow and we have relationships and friendships and jobs and you know we'll we'll carry that pain and we'll sling it on everybody you know well i'm mad at my dad so i blame it on my boyfriend or i blame it on my boss or you know whatever and so always somebody else's fault we find ourselves feeling the same way over and over and over again and that is really um, when we find ourselves in the same pattern in the same dynamic in this different relationships the problem is me it's not you and so um, after I did all of this work at this program it was like God took the light switch and went okay that's done you got it out and I literally walked out of there at 18 years old, and I never purged again. That's that's unusual. A lot of people oh. have a lot more relapses than that. Oh, yeah, I know. But it's difficult. that's why I encourage people that once you've got a, a hold on the behavior and you think you've got it right, you keep working mm-hmm. because oh, yes. that will that stuff and those belief systems will continue to follow you in your life until you take hold of them. Well, they'll tell you that you're all cured and well. Right. Well, I don't do that anymore. Exactly. I don't have that problem. I don't do it as much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, stuff like that. I mean, yeah, it's, right, right. We people do convince have. themselves that they're they're well because they don't do it as bad as they used to. Correct. Which is nuts. Which is why you need treatment. It's well, we don't use the word nuts. I know, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I know you use that about but you. <laughs> I, I did, and it was about me. It's all about me. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. So um, anyway, I finished, I continued to see my therapist um, up in Kansas City, Judy Moore, and it literally was because she was so freaking cool that I decided that that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I mean, it was like the thing that I learned, um, and I developed some really good insight, and, um, and I just, I liked her. I liked the way she was. And I would say that a, a large part of my personality actually comes because she was very cool, very laid back. She said the F word. She wore fun clothes. I got to meet her. <laughs> she's in Kansas City. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if she's still alive. But um, she was very, very, very important and crucial to me in my life. And so um, I went through college got my degree in psychology barely well my first year in college was not so great 
<laughs> it was not. In fact, the um, lead professor of the psychology department at Rhodes called me, Herb, uh, yeah, Herb Smith, and he was like, is, are you sure this is what you want to do? Because your D's don't show it. I was like, oh, <laughs> whoops. We're um, not seeing your passion, <laughs> at least on this oh, field. But again, during that year, I was still binging and purging. And so my, my thought process was real. I mean, if you people that usually have eating disorders are really smart. They're very um, motivated. I mean, if you're hungry and you don't eat, like that's a lot of motivation. That's a lot of self-will. Mm -hmm. And so I say that people that have eating disorders can do anything that they want to do when they grow up. And when they get out of it, they just got to figure out how to get out of it. And so um, that's why I, I say keep working. Well, a lot of people think it's just willpower, and willpower is really, that really has nothing to do with it. You can be a very strong willpower person and can't overcome your addictions because you haven't accepted you have an addiction. Right, right. Well, and a, a friend of mine, uh, he, he says, well, can't you just give him a donut? Can't we just buy him a pizza? I'll buy him a pizza. <laughs> won't they eat that? It's good. Like, no, it won't. it's not. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. So, um where was I? Um, You're talking about the college, doc, yep, the college that you went through having the D's. I finally, uh, once I stopped in the between my freshman and sophomore years, the next three years in college were great. Um, I had a boyfriend and I, I did well in my studies. And um, then I got my and I was at Rhodes in Memphis. And then I went to got my master's in Memphis. And um, then I got into the Georgia School of Professional Psychology, which still which doesn't exist at this point, but that's what caused me to move to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And when I finished my studies at, at the doctoral level, the thing I didn't want to do was eating disorders. I was like, uh-uh, I've been there, I've done that, I got that I'm ticket. I'm full of it. I'm, mm -mm. <laughs> but there was one girl that came into the practice and she had an eating disorder and I was like, all right, I'll see her. And because I was like, I, I mean, I know everything about this. Then the relate, I can relate started. Yes. And I told her she came in and she was emaciated and she was gray. And and I said, I looked at her and I said, listen, we're going to do this one of two ways. The easy way or the hard way. The easy way is you do what I tell you to do. The hard way is you fight me, but then you end up doing it my way anyway. So which do you want to do? So I gave her one week. I said, you can come back in one week and we'll, we'll talk about it. She came back a week later and she was like, I'll do it. I'll go in. And oh, I get chills just talking about that situation. I can tell. Um, and so it, it became my love. Like, oh, wow, this is I powerful. This. Yes, I can help these kids. And so um, I worked for AlphaCare for five years and then decided in 2000, end of 2005, I met um, a woman across the street. This was in Gwinnett County, um, and she was a dietitian. And she and I developed a group together, and we just started working together and really enjoyed working together. And so we broke off from our, you know, our programs and started MANA. We started with MANA treatment. At, Mana Treatment Center, mm -hmm. um, and then we brought on some partners, and things changed, and we developed Mana Treatment and Counseling, and um, they all 
kind of went their ways in 2008, which, you know, everything kind of sunk. Yep. And so then MANA Scholarship Fund and MANA Treatment were created. Um, four years ago, no, five years ago now, I combined the two and I brought MANA Treatment underneath the nonprofit of MANA Scholarship Fund. So we can provide scholarships for all five levels of care now. And so we have three levels of care right down the street from here. You've talked twice about those levels of care. Explain to people what those five levels of care are. Okay. The most intensive level of care is in a hospital where you are medically compromised. And if you do not, if you can't think right, if you have abnormal blood, if you get dizzy when you stand up, um, those are issues that are mean that you have complicated medical issues and so you need to have sometimes that people will not eat and they will not eat so much that their body can't even accept like it's like their body shuts down and so their body can't even accept food like a normal person so they have to go through a refeeding process which is exactly what Karen Carpenter died of Mm -hmm. and so the highest level of care is made medical stabilization or inpatient once someone is medically stable, they step down to residential level of care. This is the best um, length of time for someone to stay in is about three to four months. Um, a lot of programs will do uh, 30 days, 60 days. Some will require 60 days. Some accept insurance, some don't. But um, that's a, a, a really um, important level of care because people can go in and we have people that will go into a residential program and then they'll step down into our programs which I'm gonna tell you in a second but then and they'll work for a while and then they'll hit a new bump because of the trauma work that they're doing or whatever and so then they'll have to go back in and so it people can might have to go into a residential program three or four times sometimes even more Um, but that is where they're staying at a facility 24 7 for two three four months Once they've gotten a better hold on their behavior, they will step down into a partial hospitalization program, which is what we have. PHP is, the minimum is six hours a day, five days a week. Some programs will do 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And so that is um, a very, that's a very important part of the process. And I think that if I had had something like that, it would make the transition back into real life a lot easier. Makes sense. Um, Once someone has done a lot of their good work at PHP, then they can drop down into intensive outpatient, which is four days a week, three hours a day, sometimes three days a week, three hours a day, um, sometimes five days a week. Depending on the need. Yep. Um, So it's just shorter time, and then from there they will drop down into a – the outpatient level of care where they come in once a week or twice a week and you know for an hour you know a lot of you know it's it's amazing how extensive the process can be to get to the resolution the final stage Mm -hmm. uh, and how bad it can really get Mm -hmm. so well the core i mean the the thing that we work on at mana um is the core the trauma the pain and the problem Right, but nobody wants to feel their pain. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to talk about, you know, the bad relationship they had with their mom or their dad when they were growing up. Nobody wants to do that. However, it is, 
probably one of the most important things to talk about because let's face it, our parents are two of the most important people that are helping to shape who we are. I used to call it, we had kumbaya sessions. Yeah. They drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> See, a lot of people, especially men, don't like to feel their feelings. Absolutely. They don't like to talk about them either. But it, I'm going to tell you, that is the thing to, to be the most um, powerful and courageous thing that any person can do is deal with the crap inside of themselves. Well, with guys, you just work hard to get there, but once you get us broken through, we talk. I, I know. I know. I've seen it. I've I've made several, many, many a grown man cry, and they, they love me and they hate me for it. Oh, yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done it. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm the kind of therapist that's like, it's not, I don't, I'm, I'm less concerned about how you feel. I'm more concerned about what you believe because our beliefs exactly. lead to what we feel. Mm-hmm. And so, and that leads to what we do. And so when you have that cycle going on, um, it's, it's, that's an interesting point. It's, it's what you believe that you're feeling or that's if the I believe thing. that you are doing that because you don't like me, I'm going to have one reaction. Yeah. But if I believe that you're doing that because you're the problem or you have an issue, then I don't have you, to carry it, anything. Yeah, exactly. The weight comes off of you and the issue becomes theirs. Yeah. And I, I struggled with that. I would say from the time I was 20 and well, 14 until I was 40. And that is the, the primary thing, like dealing with how, how do I see myself? because I didn't believe that I was lovable. So Yeah, that that I think that, that that's an issue with a lot of people that I don't think a lot of people focus on the fact that or realize the fact that they don't feel loved. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I I break it down into two things. Do you feel loved and do you feel safe? Because think about it. If you felt 100% loved and 100% safe, how would you describe that? I can't even imagine. Heaven. Well, yeah, I mean. It would be heaven. Yeah. And it's not something we're going to find here. I just can't even imagine getting to that point. That would be unbelievable. Right. So the problem is when we don't feel loved or we don't feel safe, then it's it, it causes all kinds of issue for us. Yeah, and that's I mean, what we're trying to fight. Yeah, I mean, I remember going through school in high school and looking at uh, my sister, thinking that she was she was the popular one. Everybody liked her. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to her after our show last, last week, and it was kind of an interesting discussion because she said— Oh, she, see, these conversations stir oh, yeah. everything up. They, they, she said there was stuff I'd never, I didn't realize. Did she listen? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. And I forgot to call her and let her know this show was on today, but she, she knows it's on Wednesdays. Good. But, you know— I looked at her thinking she's popular. She didn't see herself that way. Mm-hmm. You know, she was uh, she was the most something or other in the school, one of the things, most dependable, I think. But she said it was because she did all the grunt work. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, she's got all these friends. She doesn't see it. And I'm thinking, and she thought I was in that position because the personality was so outgoing and everything. And I'm about as introverted as it gets when it comes to people. Yeah. And I did not feel that. So it's the perception yep. of myself was totally different. Perception of her was totally different than her perception. Yep. It, 
we are not who we think we are. Well, we are what we be- no, we are we what, are we, what believe, we believe, and we live our lives that way. It's just a matter of who helped us develop that belief system. Mm-hmm. We have faulty messages from parents because they're not they're not perfect. We have faulty messages from media. We have we have all these we we compare, we we do all this stuff. And instead, what we need to do is think, well, what what does God think about me? God loves me. He yeah. accepts me just as I am and he God wants me to no grow. God has no problem with me. It's my problem right. that I'm dealing with. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um I just want to I know we need to start closing out, but um, I just uh, wanted to say that the reason that I do what I do is because of what you just heard. I love people. I love these sick girls and men that come in. Um, I I am real and raw with them. Um, we, we don't allow someone to come to Mana and just kind of float around. If they're not working, we will yes. we will not let them float at Mana. We're say, you know what? And t- when you get serious, come back, come back. But we're not going to let you sit here and take up a spot. And we're getting to that point now where we don't have a lot of open spots. So we are, but we are also trying to grow and all that. So, um, so that's what we do. That's the heart at Mana. The heart at Mana is to help people who don't want help who feel like they can't be helped who want help who are willing like we we just want to help and meet people where they are we want to be jesus with skin on i love it um jeannie i want to thank you for letting me have this opportunity to basically hear get you to talk about your story to interview you a little bit in my limited knowledge of uh, addictions, <laughs> which well, is not too limited no, in some you've places. Got a pretty good, you've got a pretty good. Um, um, but it's been a pleasure for me to be able to do it. Well, I appreciate you being so on my I first t- show. I will turn it back over to you. Okay. And thank you very much. Thank you. Well, great show, by the way. Thank you. Um, I just want to say that uh, to all you listeners out there, um, MANA is a nonprofit, and um, we we do earn our own money but we also can grow and thrive because of donations and so donating for the show we would be glad to put a commercial on for you um donating for the growth of mana we have the desire to develop a halfway house where our clients can uh who are stepping in and stepping down and they can have a safe place to live Um, So we're looking, we're trying to have one of those, develop a home. We're also trying to develop um, a spot on the south side. And every year we are uh, into granting scholarships for residential treatment to people across the United States. Well, y'all be sure and subscribe to this when you there, because I have a habit of forgetting that, so I'm going to help Jeannie remember Oh, yeah, I got it right here. Be sure and subscribe. I got my script. Good. I'll let her get back to work, and I'll shut up. (laughs) No, you're good. Thank you, Rick. (laughs) So um, thanks, you guys, for tuning in today and to our re-inaugural, I say that because we used to have a show a few years back, but into Food, Faith, and Feelings. We want to walk with you on your journey to wholeness. So please, like Rick said, be sure to to subscribe to our show. You can find us on about 12 different podcasts, apps such as Apple Tunes, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. All shows are also archived on Business Radio X. Just go to businessradiox.com, select the Gwinnett Studio, and click on Food, Faith, and Feelings. 
Until next time, I am Dr. Jeannie Burnett, and this has been Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio X.